0: response must be
1: saints. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's have another word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning to look into your word again, we ask that you would take this hour, I ask personally that you would Take my speech, mold it to what you would uh, have me to say, and uh, prepare it for those who are willing to hear, and uh, the end result would uh, bring glory uh, to your name, Lord. You are certainly worthy, Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, those among us who are in difficult circumstances. We pray that you would be with our pastor as he's returning from the uh, conference in Texas, thank you for the men who gathered there to serve and to proclaim your name, Lord. Lord, we just pray that what's said and done today would bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever I've been called to preach from time to time on various occasions, as Jim leaves and someone needs to step in and fill the role, I've always encountered two different challenges in preparation for this time. The first being, what subject matter do you choose? How do you select? You've got the whole canon from Genesis to Revelation, and you've got one sermon, a one-off message to speak. How do you go through there and find a topic to settle on it, to preach on? Of course, I pray about that, and the Holy Spirit leads me, and it's something that I typically wrestle with for a few days, what the Lord would like me to speak on. And then the second, once you've kind of got that figured out, the main purpose, and the main point of the message that you want to bring, perhaps the central text, is how to address it, how to, where do you start, where's the beginning phase that you jump into to lead up to your point, because you can't just bring the main message and the main point and just kind of leave it there, uh, that then make for a, a very short sermon, though some of you may appreciate that, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> So that's what I typically wrestle with, trying to determine what to speak about. And I hear Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, alerting me in my mind where he says, For I have des- determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so I feel compelled to talk about Jesus once again. I don't know how to talk about anything else. I don't. I could stand up here and and talk about a, a lot of different things, a lot of different subjects, a lot of different biblical topics. But if I don't give you the truth of Jesus, then I haven't really given you anything of substance to leave that door with at the end of the message. I've given you nothing to ground yourself with. For example, I could stand here and, and talk about marriage and, and how a husband and wife are to be faithful to each other in that relationship. I could give you a lot of practical advice, give you tips, be sure to put the toilet seat down, men, and you know, rubber back, take out the trash, a lot of those practical tips. But if I haven't given you what the Bible gives us, in that the marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride in that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church, and the church is to respect the authority of the husband, which is Christ. If I haven't done that, I really haven't given you the real truth. I've robbed you of its context, and I've lied to you. I haven't, I've made it about you at its essence instead of about God. The relationship of marriage is designed for a particular appointed example, to point specifically and to exemplify Christ. That's the heart of it. That's at the center of it. If, if all things were created by Him and for Him, then everything has to be about Him. We have to talk about Him. And so I, I feel compelled again to talk about Christ because I don't know how to talk about anything else. Jesus said to the, uh, the Pharisees in John, He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of Me. See, He was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. They testify of Christ. And He goes on to tell the Pharisees in that passage that the one they esteem and hold high, Moses, that they hold so, in such high regard... They don't believe Moses because they didn't believe Christ. If you believed Christ, you would believe Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe Christ. Because Moses testified of Jesus. And so, whether it's from the Old Testament, revealing Christ in creation, the people of Israel, uh, that particular people group from which Christ was to come, that particular line of David, uh, the location, Jerusalem, the throne he was to uh, come to, that's all revealed, uh, the sacrifices that point towards his work, uh, the law revealing what he has fulfilled, the wisdom lit- literature speaks uh, and points to him as we're going to see some of that today, the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets speak of his coming and his redemption uh, for the people of Israel and the establishment of his eternal kingdom, and then we get into the Gospels. And they detail and explain to us his death, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the epistles explain how this applies to us and what it means for us, demonstrating and showing us the grace that he has revealed to us through that death, burial, and resurrection, and how it ought to cause us to live, to draw us to him through his spirit. And then closing in Revelation, that great hope of His his second coming, His return to establish the new heavens and new earth. So the whole canon from front to back is all about Christ. He's the center. He is there, and He establishes purpose and meaning in the whole thing. And that's why I wanted to look this morning uh, at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, where John... Is going to introduce us to Jesus as the Word, the Logos. In his Gospel, John uses very simple statements uh, to introduce Jesus. And, you know, they're not overdone with detail and, and technical jargon, but they are extremely profound truth statements um, that we can hear simple, clear, profound statements like, In the beginning was the Word. That's a simple statement, but in so much in there, the darkness comprehended or not, the Word became flesh. Four words, the Word became flesh. So much in there, but yet such a simple, clear statement that John gives to us that we can't begin to understand. Uh, this morning, in his prayer, Conrad said. Uh, uh, all the blessings that Christ gives to us boggle our mind. And I, I'm probably going to steal that boggling mind uh, term from you today because there's much in here that does come to the point where it boggles our mind. We can't comprehend what's in here. The, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have the Word existing before the beginning. How do you have something exist before the beginning? But yet it's true. And you have the Word with God, two entities. And then the Word is God, one entity. The Trinity. How does that work? How can that be? Boggles the mind. But yet it's true. And we know it's true. Uh, It's very interesting that John describes Jesus as the Word, logos in the Greek, without really an explanation as to why he just presents it uh, without substantiation um, but certainly much of John's listeners his, his readers would have been familiar with the Old Testament phrases like uh, the word of the Lord came and the mouth of the Lord spoke and, and language like that that would resonate back to uh, the Old Testament so it was, would be language that they would be uh, picking up on the, the nature of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is such that he is most accurately represented as the transcendent and truthful speaking authority of God, or the Word, as John describes him here. Not only is all that he speaks incredibly powerful and carries such weight with it as is demonstrated uh, uh, in creation, But uh, the speech that he has is 100% pure, it's 100% accurate, it's 100% reliable, uh, not as it is with men. And so his title of simply the word is a very accurate and appropriate title because he is the transcendent true and faithful word. Through Jesus Christ is how God Determined to make himself known And to reveal his character And that's really The uh, the message uh, That we read in the, the Mount of Transfiguration when all the Other voices are leveled and, and not to be equated With the weight and the authority Of the word of Jesus Christ His voice, his word, the Logos alone is what We are to hear His testimony, his word on the very center, the source of wisdom and understanding from the beginning to the end, as we demonstrated from Genesis to Revelation, His Word, His alone. And He speaks, and the winds are still. He speaks, and Lazarus comes out of the grave. We see the power in His Word demonstrated over and over and over again. When we think of Christ... When we think of the word, we're articulating something far more authoritative in that word than the way we use it with you and I. We recognize Jesus as the word, the word who accomplished, the, the, the speaking authority, the true and faithful word. We're acknowledging the very essence of truth and life itself when we call him the word. And I wanted to look at a couple different passages here uh, that also refer to Christ as the Word, the Word of God. Revelation nineteen, thirteen, and this is at His second coming, describing uh, describing Christ as returns. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems, and He has a name written on Him which no man knows except Himself. He is clothed clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and His name is called. The Word of God. The Word of God. Everything we see and experience in our lives, from the stars in the sky to the particles we look at under a microscope, all of it sprung into existence from the breath of His mouth. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all of their hosts... He is the word he can speak and it comes to being. And there's a big difference between that Jesus that speaks and things come into being and the Jesus the world wants to portray as someone who had some nice things to say or as just a baby in a manger or as someone who died on a cross and that's it. We'll leave it. No. This Jesus speaks and things come into being all of creation. He's God, a very God, and the elements listen to him as he commands them. A few weeks ago, uh, we began our study in, uh, on Wednesday night in the book of Proverbs. And we've been learning how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I wanted to look at something here in Proverbs um, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when, we, when we've been going through that study that I think really points us to christ as the word and i've often wondered about that phrase and pondered on it the uh the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom uh particularly in the sense of the word beginning there that it's the starting point well where does it continue from where does it where do we continue to gain wisdom if the fear of the lord is is the start it's the very first step of wisdom where does the rest of it come from And we were studying in in chapter 2 of uh, Proverbs. And I think this fits into what we're going to look at. So I wanted to to turn to chapter 2 of Proverbs and, and, and read this and see if we're talking about the same word. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you... Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. If you want wisdom... If you want knowledge, if you want understanding, you had better find the mouth of the Lord and listen to it. Because that's where it's flowing from. That's what Solomon is teaching here. That's where wisdom comes, from the mouth of the Lord. Do I need to do the math for you? He is talking about the Word, the Word of God. He's the source of knowledge and understanding. And this particularly resonated with me um, a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night when we came to that passage because I had just been studying Isaiah chapter 40 and Jesus there is referred to as the mouth of the Lord. We, if we remember that passage um, is the passage of that is, is calling Christ that He is the deliverer of Zion, deliverer of, of Jerusalem and Judah, and that He will come again to Israel and, and it's the passage that proclaims Him as the shepherd. But he is there referred to as the mouth of the Lord. So I want to look at that passage as well. And just show you that the scriptures are all saying the same thing. They're speaking in tandem with the same message. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended that her iniquity has been removed that she has received of the lord's hand double for her sins a voice is calling clear away for the lord in the wilderness we're going to touch on that a little bit more here in john make smooth in the desert a highway for our god let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken a voice call, a voice says call out and he answered what shall i call out all flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like a flower of the field the grass withers and the flower fades and the breath of the lord blows upon it surely the people are grass the grass withers the flower fades that sounds like Solomon back in Proverbs. But the word of, the, of God stands forever. Get yourselves up on a high mountain, O Zion. Bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem. Bearer of good news, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him, behold, his reward is with him. And he recompenses before him like a shepherd. He will tend his flock. In his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Is there any doubt who we're talking about? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth By the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who has first been his counselor to inform him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice? The path of justice. Who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him? The way of understanding. No one has informed him. He is the source of that. Go back to Proverbs chapter 2 in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He, verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he shields those who walk in integrity, guarding. The paths of justice. And He preserves the way of His godly ones. Aren't they saying the same thing? It's Jesus Solomon was talking about. It's Jesus that Isaiah was talking about. It's Jesus that John was talking about. All saying the same thing. Listen to the Word. Hear Him. He is the source of knowledge and understanding. He is the mouth, the speaking agency of God, the articulated truth, the Word, the Logos. And in John 1, John introduces him as such, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's an incredible statement. That's the boggles of the mind statement that uh, uh, Conrad uh, was talking about, that how can... Christ, be with God the Father, be two separate but also be one. That's the Trinity. Same consistent message in the Scriptures. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that comes into being. Nothing comes into existence except if it serves His purpose. Nothing comes about unless He determines for it to come about. Everything comes from Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christ alone is the source of life. We see that in creation at the beginning, as well as when He gives spiritual life, as John's going to talk about here in a, in a couple chapters, in, in chapter 3 and then also in, uh, in in chapter 5, He gives life in, in creation, And then he also gives spiritual life to whomever he chooses. As he says in chapter 5, For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whomever he wishes. He bestows life on whoever he wishes. That's why he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life, truth, and light, as John is going to continue to say. In chapter 12, he says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. He is the light in the world. And he says in, in, in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehend, comprehended it not. What did you say this this morning in, in chapter 5 of Ephesians? I think. The 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 light comes and extinguishes the darkness. Yeah, the light, the darkness cannot hold the light, and Jesus is that light. And I don't have to talk to you about how dark it is out there. I know all of you know and experience that darkness within yourself. I know. You can walk outside at your jobs or wherever it may be and see that darkness. And I know you can turn on the TV or the internet and get a stream of that darkness coming to you from all directions. It's nothing but darkness. But it is good to know that that darkness has not overcome, it has not comprehended the light that he is. That light transcends above that darkness and you can't extinguish the light. John continues in verse 6, and this is the same thing that Isaiah was talking about in, in verse 40 in John the Baptist. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify, to bear witness of, about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. But he came to bear witness to testify of the light. He came to testify of the light which was Jesus. And if you remember when we read in uh, Isaiah chapter 40. That foretelling of Isaiah of John the Baptist. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's what he is referencing here as well. That John was called as a forerunner to proclaim the way of the light so that men would believe. And it's interesting the the typology that he represents, a voice in the wilderness, a a barren land of darkness, and John represented that voice that transcends, that truth that Christ was to bring, that transcended above all the wilderness, all the darkness that, that was in the world. And that's what Christ accomplished and what he was. And he brings about belief in men, genuine belief. The, the, the word there that, that all might believe through him is the same word for, the, for which we get faith as well. So he's talking about true, genuine faith. And he's going to explain how that comes about here in a few verses. There was the true light, the true light, that's Christ, which coming into the world enlightens every man, Christ being the logos and the true light, the pure light, by his nature, his character, he's genuine, he's reliable, he's true. The light is pure. It's unencumbered by darkness. It takes away the darkness. Uh, Every word he utters is reliable. Every word is trustworthy. He's not, his words are not as men to wear wear. They need to be filtered, they need to be deciphered, they need to be weighed against another standard. Our words need to are, are uh, tainted with bias and pride. His <coughs> words are pure and true on their own, and they stand on their own. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. That's another simple statement that is confounding to try to understand first of all he he was created the world the world was through him and then he came into that world and the world did not know him the world didn't recognize its creator how could the world not recognize its creator but yet yet it didn't and he came to his own came to his own people his own the jewish people the israelites and those who were his own did not receive him; they rejected him. They didn't want it. They wanted Barabbas, if you remember. Paul talks about that in Romans ten and eleven, how their rejecting their rejection of him has been a blessing to the Gentiles because of their rejection. Faith and grace has come to the Gentiles, so it's a it's a blessing for for us. And he's going to. Explain that here in the next verse, for as many as did receive him, to them gave he the right, gave he the power to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name. So there were those who did receive the truth, who did receive uh, the light. And of course we know, John's not discussing it here, but Paul does in Romans 11, how eventually it will be all of national Israel that do see Him, that, that that do look upon Him, and are saved at the end. We know about that. But at this particular time, because of their unbelief, salvation has come to the Gentiles, and there are a group that did receive Him. And verse 13 is going to explain how that happened. They did receive Him, and their receiving of Him, they were granted the right to become children of God, even those who believe on their name. And we've been studying in our regular Sunday series, Romans chapter 8, and we talked about the uh, the children of God, how the creation waits for the revealing of the children of God. The whole creation groans and is waiting for that, and how with that we are fellow heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ because of that title. So there's a, a lot in there um, that encompasses children of God and, and inheritance that, that we get from that. But verse 13 here, he's going to say how they received the status, how they got that status, the right to become children of God. He says, who were born not of blood, so they were not uh, entitled to it or given it as a, as a birthright because of a particular lineage they were uh, a part of. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man. So no Part of human effort, no part of a human desire accomplished their status as children of God. So, no prayer, no decision, no walk down an aisle, none of that. But, the last parts of it, but of God. That's how they were born. That's how they were birthed. And of course, he's going to get into uh, describing the new birth in chapter three when he talks about the Spirit moving upon whom it will. Uh, As the wind moves upon upon who it will, so the spirit also moves upon who it desires and, and enlightens that individual in the new birth. So it is of sovereign grace by God alone, not the will of flesh, the will of man that establishes that right, that power of being entitled a child of God. So verse... 14, then he continues. And the word, and there's there's the one that really kind of baffles me and, and boggles my mind. Um, the word became flesh. Just those four simple words. The word, the true transcendent truth became flesh and dwelt among us. Not only became flesh, dwelt among us. And we know Paul explains this in Philippians, the incarnation in, in chapter 2 of Philippians how Christ set aside His rightful glory and took on flesh and came to earth and experienced uh, the frailty of human flesh, dwelt among us, experiencing all things as we do, hunger, pain, temptation, sorrow, yet without sin. That's an amazing statement that a God, the Word, would be willing to take on flesh and dwell among sinners and yet he did and when he says here and we saw his glory I think what John is referencing here is uh, we saw his glory he's talking about uh, what they witnessed at the uh, the specific glory they witnessed at the Mount of Transfiguration John along with Peter and James when they saw his the face of the Lord shone like the sun and his, his clothes became like white light and, and And the father said to them, God, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's the glory that they saw. No one comes to the father, but by the son, the only begotten son. The only point of access to God is through the man, Jesus Christ. That's the only way Uh, he is. The one we are to hear. He is more than just a teacher. He is the access point to God, bridging humanity and God. The only way that we can access God is through Jesus Christ. He's the God-man who defeated death and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. You better hear him. You better hear that person as paul desc- or as john describes him here the only begotten of the father the only option to the father is jesus christ and i love this description of he is full of grace and truth filled with grace and truth that is the logos that is the word that is jesus christ he is the embodiment of grace and truth and isn't it convenient that the two things you most desperately need are grace and truth? That's what you most desperately need. We are totally depraved, totally incapable. We're oblivious. We're happy to be oblivious, walking along in our lives, not realizing, not understanding that the wrath of a righteous, holy God is looming over our heads after but a few short days that we're, that we're given. And rightly is deserving to come down upon us. We need someone who is full of grace and truth. And he is not only able but willing to dispense of that unmerited favor in abundance to you. Because that's his nature. He is full of grace. And he does that at such a great cost to himself. The greatest cost. He is filled with grace and truth. And that is what you need the most. You need His grace to remove the negative stain of sin that consumed your life. But you don't just need that. You also need the positive infusion of truth that He is. So that you can be reckoned as a child of God and an heir of God, and a fellow heir with Christ. You need that. You need his imputed righteousness, credit to your account. You need his truth taking up residence inside you with his spirit. You need both his grace and his truth. And that's what he is, full of grace and truth. He's everything you need. Without him, we have nothing. With him, we have everything. Without him, we're hopeless, hopeless, Determined for eternal wrath and punishment, but with him, eternal joint heirs with Christ. That's the complete opposite spectrum. Praise God. He's the perfect mediator. He's the perfect mediator. The perfect go-between. Job knew that he needed a mediator. Job knew that he needed Christ before Christ came to earth. Job knew that he needed someone to go between him and God because he couldn't approach God. The best mediator you could have is someone who knows your position firsthand. Someone who's aware of you. Someone who knows in and, and Christ Christ. All the things you've forgotten, all the sins you've committed and even forgotten about, he's aware of those. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He's the perfect mediator to represent you. All of those sins he bore personally and has intimate knowledge of, he can represent you better than you can represent yourself. But not only that, what makes him the perfect mediator, it's not just that aspect... But also that he has intimate knowledge of you and he has an intimate relationship with the party you need to be mediated to. He and the Father are one. So there's no fear of him having to come to the Father on your behalf and and lobby and try to persuade and try to reconcile. No, they're one. And what the Son does. The Father is well pleased in that. And the Son only does the will of the Father. That's a perfect mediator. Someone who only does what the Father's will is. And someone who has intimate knowledge of your life. Intimate knowledge of you. And can properly mediate that to a holy God on your behalf. It's, he is the perfect bridge from your depraved state to righteous and holy over here. That's a good plan, Tom. I know know you like the good plan. I know you like to say that. And and, and that's that's a great plan. And I, I appreciate His plan for our righteousness, for making us righteous, imputing His righteousness into us. And we can see why there is no other way, there's no other approach to God but through Christ. There's no other way to Him. Can't be. He has to come to us. We can't go to him. So I hope you, uh, I hope you can walk away with a, a renewed sense of just how, first of all and foremost, how true his word is, how true his speech is, how he speaks and things come to be, how he is a perfect mediator, how he represents us perfectly, how he can relate to us perfectly. Um. Perhaps I can get into more of John here later. I didn't get into as much as I'd like to, um, but I do love the way he gives us those simple statements that are so profound. And I understand perhaps it's because it does stretch the imagination and boggle our mind that it needs to be simple like that because if he did spell it out in detail, we probably wouldn't be able to understand it the way that it actually is. So... Well, I thank you for listening. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have a mediator, the one, the word, the logos, the truth, the light, the light that's come into the world and that has created access to God, the Father, through him. We're so thankful, Lord, that uh, you came and sought us despite us not knowing we needed to be sought, you still came and rescued us. And we're forever grateful, Lord. The work you've done is is amazing and deserving to be praised throughout eternity, and we can be assured that it will, Lord. And we look forward to that day that when in the new heavens and, and the new earth we can see you and experience you in the way that you are. We're so excited for that, Lord. And and just to get a taste of, of who you are through your word today is such a wonderful blessing, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to uh, give us a glimpse into who you are, continue to raise us up, to, to have us to grow, to conform us to your image, Lord, as you do and as you've promised. Thank you so much for this wonderful church and this uh, opportunity to fellowship together at gca and we thank you for each one of these individuals we pray for those among us who are not able to be here today that you would care for them and bring them back in jesus name amen